Hello and welcome to this special episode of Super Woo Radio. We are situated in the heart of the Glasshouse Mountains. We have a beautiful setting all around us and I'm very, very honoured to introduce to you uh, a good friend, um, Uncle Al. We all have welcomed uh, Uncle Al into our hearts and into our lives and Uncle Al has done the same with us. And uh, Uncle Al, welcome to Superwee Radio. Nice to be here. And as you rightly say, in this setting, um, with the mountain in the background and sharing the energy of this land, um, the perfect setting for something like this to unfold as it does. And I consider Uncle Al, uh, all of us do, to be an Aboriginal, what I call, original elder, original elder. And uh, Uncle Al today is, um, has been very kind to offer his time to share knowledge and wisdom with us, which is very pertinent for humanity at the moment, for all of us really. And Uncle Al, we've had some great yarns around the fire. (laughs) And the dinner table. And the dinner table. <laughs> yeah, it's been absolutely lovely. Um, I feel very honoured and privileged that you're sharing your time with us here today. Uh, and I've noticed that when we do talk with one another, the dialogues that we have are always deep and profound and um, nourishing is a good word to use. <laughs> It is is exactly that. And when you say words like you've just expressed, um, that really does encapture um, the essence of what does actually happen. Um, When you talk about nourishing, well, that's a beautiful word to use because in this um, uh, opportunity we have is about um, giving life to concepts, to awareness, to understandings, to um, who we are as a, as a human being in this form. And so nourishing is a really beautiful word, George. Yeah. Um, and, and so it's, it's, it's lovely to be able to... Um, we got a few bugs buzzing around. So if you hear, see the white plants going, that's the Aussie salute. That's the Aussie salute. That's the Aussie salute <laughs> saying, okay, bug, there's all these trees, you can go there, we just need to concentrate, but that's all right. So I suppose, George, to start off, it'd be nice to have a little bit of a, a welcome. Culturally, it's what we do to um, um, acknowledge that we are actually on land that was cared for, that was nurtured, that was nourished by the people of this land who came here and took on the role of being guardians and custodians and law keepers and so on. So in this area, um, it's the Kabi Kabi people some other folks say gubby gubby. Well, they're in essence the same mob, um, and so perhaps it's a, it's appropriate to say the two names. Um, I personally prefer Kabi Kabi, but that's just my 
experience. Um, if other people have different, well, that's they're allowed to do that too. As long as what they're doing is essence of respect and and a sense of standing on country that had been looked after and cared for. So I would like to express those feelings and say that I am actually honoured to be with you, George, and to be able to have this opportunity to um, have a bit of a conversation about certain subjects and topics um, on land with the mountain in the background. By the way, that mountain you see is is known as Canaran, and a lot of people struggle with cultural words and, <laughs> you know, you got to put your tongue around some, but it's Canaran and in essence it, 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 it translates to the young people, the next generation. So it's appropriate that we have that as a backdrop on this property that is cared for now by Brett and Megan Standring uh, and we've come here uh, more than once and had uh, circles and had opportunities to hang out and and lots of healing, lots of healing. So um, it's nice to begin this by acknowledging these things and to have gratitude and deep respect for simply being here. I wholeheartedly agree. Thank you so much, Uncle Al. What a beautiful welcome. Um, would you be um, able to share with us a little bit of your background? Because you've had quite the journey, like an amazing journey in life. And, and that's nice to ask that, George. And and when you when you take a few steps back, it's you become aware that a lot of folk have had journeys as well, and some of those um, things that. Uh, impact on people can be life-changing, direction-changing, um, aspects of, um, they call it these days, light bulb moments. And, and so a bit of the background is that I was technically of the stolen generation. My parents had me and that was in the early 1950s and they were First Nations people, and they had their entire possessions in the back of a truck. And my father was a fencer, a windmill fixer. Mm. He was one of these people that had no formal education, but he was very skilled in many, many, many ways. And, and that's kind of very important to have that aspect um, brought out at the beginning of our conversation, I think, George, uh, because when you consider that there are people who... There's a difference between intelligent, smart and streetwise. Oftentimes a streetwise person, because of circumstances... is on the street, but they are incredibly resourceful. Mm -hmm. 
they will source out safe places to sleep. They will source out different aspects of survival. And I think that's the same with, with, with First Nations people around the planet in that around the planet, that's just not in this country, it's everybody. And that is that you know, people are incredibly resourceful but also aware of energies, of situations that come along. And at first it can catch you off guard, think, oh, what the hell's going on here? Then take a few steps back and process that and kind of think, okay, if I do this, if I do that, if I go down here, uh, what can happen? And they figure it out pretty quick, pretty quick. Um, and so you get people who are very highly educated, but they're not very intelligent. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like a bit of a contradiction, but... Well, yeah, and if I can um, share with you um, an experience I had in the Flinders Ranges in regards to that. And it was a really, really interesting experience because um, um, I was sitting there and I was deep in the Flinders Ranges, like really deep in there. And, uh, and I was sitting, leaning back against a tree and I was looking at the way the law of the land was and having all this beautiful dialogue with the land and I was looking at all this beautiful purple ochre rock which went up a, go a causeway up, up, up the hill a bit. And I was just, you know, going back in time and seeing the flows and the lava flows and yeah, all these things. And this couple ended up walking up, uh, elderly couple, and uh, and this gentleman was quite stately and tall and had the beard and all that. And they said hello, and it was a it was a beautiful welcoming. Uh, and then we started talking, and um, and they asked me what I was doing there and all that. And I started talking about the land and the dialogue with the land, and, and they looked at me really strange. And and uh, I, I made a comment. And I said, I said, uh, and the reasons why I, I, I'm here learning is because I consider the Australian Aborigines the most advanced race on the planet. And I mean no disrespect to anyone else. Well, that just hit the button and he totally lost it. Like, I mean, he got, he went into a rage. Really? How dare you? I've got Whoa. this degree and that degree and blah, 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 blah. And um, anyway, he just went on in his big rant and I just sat there and I was just watching him and I was looking at his wife. His wife was in shock and I was looking at him and I was looking at his wife and, I, and I'm looking at the land. I'm just observing what was playing out. And at the end of it, I just looked at him and I said, you may have all these little letters after your name and you may consider yourself highly, highly educated, right? And highly intellectual. I said, but how is it you know so little about life? And he, he, I just, yeah, that was, he just did not know what to say to that. His wife did a little, like a little chuckle, because she knew where I was coming from. And, um, and he just stormed off and she had to turn around and walk with him. <laughs> she just gave me this look sideways as she turned around to walk off. It was an amazing, amazing experience. So, yeah, if, um, look, you know, we understand education has its place and it plays its role. The issue is the people, the folks that do most, not all, 
most who go into that structure and into that system end up believing to be the the most intelligent um, and, and and that's not reality you know when it comes to the system that they've been programmed by like you know what the information they have access to um, then inside that system yes but when it comes to life absolutely not mm. that's um, a real life example that you um, saw fit to share and it just fits perfectly um, and so that's really in capturing what it is that about when the Europeans came to this land they call the people savages they call them heathens they call them all these names because they didn't fit inside that box yes. and then there was this massive shift to try to um, anglicise people and to save them by using religion and and so on and so forth. So, um, yeah, my parents were in a situation where they were just struggling, really struggling, but doing all right, just struggling. Uh, and then I came along and, and they knew that mm, it would be better if I was cared for by someone else. Mm-hmm which is a huge thing. It was, it was, as I said before, technically stolen generation in as much as I was removed from culture, removed from um, that parental thing. And, and my, my father could actually talk language. He could actually speak the language Fantastic. fluently. Fantastic. Anyway, the thing is that I was... Um, cared for by these two people and I I think it'd be proper to mention their names. Maurice, he became known as Monty and Doris. And um, it was really beautiful that they came up to where I was born in, in Charlieville, Western Queensland, saw me and um, knew that they were going to care for me. They just knew. So, yeah, that began the journey and then a little bit later on, about age of about two, there emerged a medical condition which impacted the fragility of my bones, mainly in my legs and arms. So that then created another part of the journey and so assessments were made, medical diagnoses were made and it was determined that I needed to be with very highly skilled medical people because this condition is known as osteogenesis imperfecta. Osteogenesis imperfecta. Yep. So we shorten it down to OI. As we do. And oh shit, here we go. <laughs> yeah. So it, it was it was really very 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 challenging mm. because um, the bones, mainly in my legs and arms, as I said, 
got incredibly fragile, really could not sustain any weight, could not sustain, you know, their fractures and lots and lots and lots of fractures. As a consequence, um, you know, mm, uh, hospitalisation was life. Regular, yeah. No, it was life. life. So um, are you willing to share how many fractures you've had as a result? Well, we lost count about 350. Wow. About 350. Wow, man. So, yeah. Is it okay if I stand up? Go for it. Yeah, because you were practically standing. Yeah. <laughs> well, standing, sitting. Standing, mm, sitting. Same viewpoint. <laughs> yeah. No, I just wanted to I don't think it doesn't really matter, yeah. George. No, because, like I say, you might you might be physically, you know, not quite the same in height, but you are definitely a giant in my eyes and in my experience. And, and that's nice you say that. And realistically, that's what life can give you that what that's what life can hold out in the palm of, of its hand to gift to you but how do you receive that how do you accept that how do you embrace that how do you really see that as an opportunity and actually as a gift because when things happen that aren't pleasant there's a lot of negativity connected with that, and rightly so, mm -hmm. and rightly so. But oftentimes those things, I have a saying that say that goes that um, challenges actually become opportunities. Mm. And when we take that aspect, it's kind of going, oh, I wonder what amazing lesson is going to be in this lot you know, what impacts upon us. And at times it's, it's unpleasant, it's not nice, there's maybe some pain involved and so on and so on and so on. It's just afterwards that you can sort of like take a big breath and go, wow, wow. And so first 14 years of, of my life was in spending inside hospitals and an institution for a whole bunch of children who... Um, had some fairly serious medical issues. And a lot of those children, we're talking about the, the early 60s, 1960s. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the children were brought to this institution and they had asthma. They had really, they struggled. And That's what I had when I was a child. And so, mm. yes, so you would understand. And, and before Ventolin, mm. it was like... Yeah, serious stuff. Oh, yeah. You know, if, if you had an asthma attack with whatever it is, yeah. you struggled. You struggled to breathe. You just could not breathe. And and, and so in inside this institution, quite a number of children died. Mm. So at a very early age, we were exposed to the fragility and the really, like, seriously, like... Um, tenuance, fragile, you never know what's going to happen next aspect of life. Yeah. As children. Yeah. Because we were struggling with our own issues as well, mind you. <laughs> but in that was really interesting because we became like brothers and sisters and we supported each other and we helped oh, one another. Oh, that's lovely, yeah. And, and, and we began to realise that yeah, that was 
very important to have that so that we could defend, we could protect, we could look after, we could um, have a have an awareness of just how integrated we all actually are mm-hmm. and how that integration gives you actually strength. Yeah. To be it's able like a to... Tribe, is it? Well, it's like might... having a tribe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then what could happen is a person would have asthma attack and they would die and you'd never see them again. Mm. And we had no counselling. There was no nothing. You just were told to get on with the day. My goodness. So how do you process yeah. that as a yeah. child? Yeah, there's no grieving process. Huh? You weren't allowed to. Wow, so a lot of suppressed emotion. Is it suppressed emotion, George? I don't know whether that's correct to say that. Perhaps you could even turn the whole thing around and talk about dealing with reality. Exactly. Because the way you talk about, you know, um, I was on a disability pension and the majority of people in society would see you as having a disability. Yeah, the poor things. Yeah. Right? <laughs> but that's not your approach. No, it's my camouflage. It's your camouflage. Because <laughs> what do you have? I have the blessings of life. And you have different abilities. I have different abilities. <laughs> not disabilities. But that kids can sneak under the radar and all kinds of things. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and that's true. I'm, I'm familiar with people who've been impacted with many different you know, challenges of life. And, and one of the biggest things is that people who have been burnt, their skin is really scarred. So visually they can be confronting, mm. but inside they're just a person with feelings, mm. with likes and dislikes, and yeah. you know, they might not like cauliflower. Well, they're all right. They're not allowed. They, they don't, you know, just because what's on the outside doesn't matter, you know, <laughs> um, and so on. And I, I, I like to also use humour. Mm. As, as a way of navigating through because there's a lot of serious stuff out there and there's a time and place for that. Yeah. There is a time and a place. What is really important is that we don't dwell on that more than we need to. There was a, a, a wisdom that you shared with me that has stuck with me. And that was the um, the one about when you're driving in a car. Yeah. Do you want to share that one? Well, now that you brought it up, I'm yeah. trying to remember what it was. That was uh, the one about the I know. I'm joking, buddy. I'm joking. Yeah. Um, and so it's kind of mm, what you said is true. And so we, we, just, we just had that reconciliation day, did we? Yeah, that well, um, that's again, hmm, let's just one step at a time here, George. He, he, he jumps all over the shop, this bike. Well, get excited. Like he gets excited. But I thought the two are interconnected. That's why I brought it up. No, it's good, it's good, it's good. Yeah. So the, the thing is that I use a lot of metaphors. I use a lot of illustrations. I use a lot of imagery that is able to allow people to create an image in their minds and so that you can have an imagery thing. And I think this is a, a, a cultural thing. 
Yeah, we're pretty good at it, you know. And so the image of the driving in the vehicle, there you are, there's the windscreen, mate, you've got it polished up pretty good, you can see where you're going, um, you're looking down the road, but up near the top is the rear view mirror. And every now and then we glance up in the rear view mirror because we know behind us could be something, you know, that we need to be aware of or we drive past something and we flick our eyes up and we look at the rear view mirror. What was that? And you, you have a glimpse of it in the rear view mirror. But then your eyes go back to, hey, we've got to concentrate on the road here. And that is kind of like important for us to have awareness of we don't drive with the rear view mirror. We don't keep continuously looking in the rear view mirror because we're not focused solely on the past. We're looking ahead, aren't we? We're exactly. looking at the present and we're looking ahead and we occasionally glance at the past as we need to see where we've been. And so, what's, what's so, coming. so, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and the thing is, uh, I was yesterday with a medical mob down at Redcliffe Hospital doing some artwork on some rocks that were going to be put in a healing garden. Mm. And they have this beautiful saying, it says, acknowledge the past. Mm. I like that. Respect the present. And inspire the future. That's a beautiful, beautiful Is saying. Is that good or what? Wow. Acknowledge the past respect the present and the rooster's happy about that and what was the future inspire inspire the, the future. future oh i love it yeah thank you <laughs> yeah fantastic and, and so um yeah the early part of the journey was hospitals but maybe the first 14 years of of, of life so i knew when it was thursday because that's the day we had powdered scrambled eggs Right. Mm. Um, and, and you're in this situation where a person would be put in bed next to you and you'd make a friend of that person about four to six weeks later they were discharged they got over their illness you never saw them again mm. so yeah lots of you could say psychological stuff but it was even deeper than that it was about appreciating that this is what you've been offered. And at the time, you don't uh, fully understand that. Mm. But it's only afterwards you kind of do to some degree. But I'd like to share one incident that was a shift, a turning point, a huge aspect of realisation of we've got a very, very, very vocal rooster in the background. Yeah, they'll see he's in picture, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, what actually happened, I was in, in, this, in this ward and in those early days there was no ICU, okay. intensive care unit, no ICU. The sickest person was put in the bed. Really? <laughs> really. <laughs> put in the bed next to the sister's desk. Mm. Um, anyway, I was there um, 
trying to navigate through these fractures. And a young girl was brought in. And she was of Italian descent. And I would have been about eight at the time. And she was about my age. And she had been accidentally shot with a shotgun in her oh. chest. Boom. Oh, my goodness. How that happened, I've got no idea. Wow. But the point was that she was really, really severely damaged. Ooh. That she survived was, was amazing. Well, but yeah. anyway, they brought her in and they did the x-rays. They found all the pallets and then they took her to surgery and removed all the pallets. But there was a lot of damage. Then all the family started wanting to come in and they were only allowed two at a time. So this whole family had this roster system. Two at a time, two at a time, two at a time. And she just tenaciously hung on to life. She was going, she was like, yeah. And of course you've got all the medical people doing everything they could to do, give her a chance of life, She's a young person. So they had all the drugs, they had the surgery, they had the this, they had 24-7 care right next to the sister's desk. And she seemed to come good. She seemed to come good. And I remember, like it happened yesterday, we went down to the area where there was bathtubs and stuff and she was well enough, they put a big dressing on her wound and she was well enough to be away from all the drips and stuff. And they put her in a bathtub with about yay water and they washed her hair and they gently trickled the water over her body and she was in absolute... Bliss. Oh, wow. Absolute bliss. And I saw that. I witnessed that. And I processed all that. And I thought, wow. Because I saw her when she first came in. And she was desperately unwell. And there she was, you know, having her hair washed. Mm. Simple pleasures. Simple pleasures, yeah that so many take for granted that just skid by. And yet for her, that was just ah, amazingly beautiful. And I witnessed that. And then a little while later she kind of... Yeah, there was some other issues and she went into a a relapse and she actually died. Okay. Eight years old. I'm about the same age. Mm -hmm. So at the age of eight, Mm. I actually came to terms with mortality. Mortality, yeah. And just how fragile... Mm. Because of your condition, you've been close to that. Well, not really close to it, but the emotional, mental thing is all the package, right? Mm. I mean, I wasn't going to die from having a broken leg, you know, but this young girl did. Mm. So 
So, and I'm, you're in a hospital. Like, it's all these people, unwell, being cared for. So, um, I wanted to ask you um, also, because the work that you do these days, so, you know, from your youth there and having that experience, there's this transitional period where you just ended up moving into the space now with the work that you do now for community. Um, do you want to share a little bit about well, I was, that? I was working on that one, George. On that. Yeah. yeah, and so... So that was that time, and then around about 13, I realised that there was all these strangers, all these medical people who were doing everything they could possibly do to give me a chance of living a life. And so what happened was I had some surgery. I was the first in Queensland to have surgery that put steel next to the bones. Right. So it's like supporting a young tree that you planted in the garden. You want to protect it from the wind and whatever else. And and so that was the concept and the idea, and it worked. Fractures stopped. So almost out of control after that. <laughs> but no, seriously, it was it was an opportunity then begin to explore and so my foster father Monty he was a very highly skilled engineer mechanic and I bought we bought a little motor car he put some pedals on it so that I could I could drive the thing and ah mate poor yeah yeah that would have been so much fun for you it was just amazing to have the independence to have the opportunity to just do what you wanted to do when you wanted to do it Yeah. yeah And and then to explore different aspects of how that, what that meant, how that was important and so on and so on. And we had time of just having fun. And so in that journey, there was a lot of pretty hairy moments where um, pushed the edge, really pushed the edge. And that's okay. I think that's important that we explore outside of our comfort zones, that we, we, we explore things that are not dangerous but things that are important for us to learn about where our, not exactly boundary lines are, but where we can feel that we can go to and then get to that point and go, the next step. And the next step, and the next step, and the next step, so that we're not stuck mm. in 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 something that is constructive and conceived, or oh, this is the best thing for you, or, or or and this is what happens with so many folk is that you're brought up in a, in a family situation, in a religious background, in in whatever it is you're brought up into, um, and that's the box you'll fit it into, and then. Um, uh, you're given an education and I remember seeing the 7-Up series where these children would say, oh, I'm going to go to university and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and then I'll go to Oxford and then I'll get this law degree and then I'll... Seriously? 
Seriously? How sad. Mm. How sad that these folk are put into these boxes that at the time people felt, well, that's important. That's how you will earn a living. That's how you will... Be successful. Be successful. Whereas we can have knowledge of a much deeper aspect of what life actually is. It's, it's the how success is measured with one form of mindset and mentality to... Well, it's, yeah. it's not even success, George, I don't think. It's, it's more about... What resonates with you? You know, what is it that you go into a space and and you'll either feel comfortable outside your comfort zone or you'll feel, oh, crap, I've got to get out of here, <laughs> you know? All of that happens in, a, in sometimes a very quick moment of time. But if you're right on the edge of one of those modalities, sometimes you go, ooh, I think I've got to give this a go. Yeah. Yeah. Not sure where this is going to go to, but I yeah. think I've got to give it a go. Yeah. And so um, it was really interesting. That's what I was doing in those times. And so, yes. And then my foster father died in 1982. And that his service, Doris, told me that my parents were First Nations people. First time. First time. And it was kind of like, okay. And and what you do is you process the past and you think about some little incidences that may have happened that, that caused you to reflect a certain way or have a certain reaction about, and at the time you go, Nah, it's fine. Mm-hmm. It's only when you realise or are told that you go, ah. Oh. So that's what that was all about, kind of thing. So in, um, yeah, A7, I decided it would be time to see if I could find my mob. So I started looking. And I was really fortunate. I had a lot of information. I had where I was born, when I was born. I had my mother's married name. I had the town in which I was born. Mate, I had a lot of information. Fantastic. So I went back to that place, Charlieville. Yeah, yeah. And within three days of searching, I found my grandmother. Wow. So that was really like the beginning of this... Mm. Door opening up and then an invitation to come into another layer or another level of cultural wisdom or cultural awareness and cultural um, understanding. And it's been ongoing. Been ongoing. Yeah, and I, and I love the cultural wisdom that you share. Um, it's, you know, deeply in alignment with my values and and the wisdom that I share as well it's, it's amazing how we just so beautifully integrate 
and um, and the and the subtle differences, which is a good thing because it's um, diversity. Of course, we're not cookie cutter robots. <laughs> Gotta got have that little bit of spice in life. It's great. <laughs> Um, so after you found out and those doors open, you got all that, you know, that second opportunity in life to, it's like, it would have been like a rebirth for you in a way, wouldn't it? An awakening almost, yeah. or a invitation to come into a space that is filled with all manner of interesting, challenging, confronting, exciting Scare the crap out of you. Energies. And in amongst all that is this ancient wisdom that is really the foundation that is and is often is as elusive as the wind. But if you take time just to sit there, you can see the the grasses move, you can see the leaves move, you can see the birds flying and using something which is not able to be seen, but you can actually feel it. That's the wisdom. <laughs> so when you go on the country, there is an energy that if you are open to it or you allow to be felt, mm. It will integrate, it will communicate, it will guide, it will direct, it will actually manifest in ways that you would have no idea that will ever be possible. And quite frankly, the journey of exploring and, and navigating into the cultural aspects, I needed to go walk about. So I went up to Cape York, hung out with some First Nations people way up in the sticks. Wow, that's a long way up there. It is a fair way, but yep. I bought this little car and restored it. Drive it. All the way up there. Back then would have been I've dirt, been right? up there about well, four or five times at least. Wow. <laughs> yeah, and people would see me and say, oh, oh you're doing it on your own. I can, I'm not really on my own. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Hmm. You got all the dream time with you. That's yeah, a big and a, a bit big more. That's <laughs> a big mob. It's a biggest mob. <laughs> um, and, and, and so we're having that awareness and that yeah. understanding. I mean, I worked really hard to get that little car as best I possibly could mechanically, so that yeah. it was going to be reliable. It was going to be functional. It was going mm. to not break down some somewhere. You know that I couldn't access. I. Yeah, because Monty was an engineer and mechanic, and I had he give me those skills. Right. Yep. Right, and so it was kind of really important to do that. Mm -hmm. um, we don't just sit back and wait for everything to fall out the sky on a silver plate. It's kind of like really important that we do our bit, that we do some put some effort into things, that we take time out to observe that we take time out to use what skills we actually have mm. and that's ongoing I mean you never stop learning 
really never oh, stop no, there. I'm, I'm only just coming back to that that language of life. You know, the way of life and the way natural way of life and the natural way of love and you know, that language, the dialogue with reality, with nature, with the real world. Well, it is it's a real world in many respects, but it's elusive again, like mm. I said before, with the analogy of the wind, mm. because some people see the wind and all of a sudden the pollen comes in and they have an allergic reaction to that. Well, that's unfortunate and it's, it's, it's not nice. Um, but what do they do with that? Do they curse? Do they um, um, see it as a, a credible negative, which is it can actually be. I mean, people really struggle with those allergies, hay to, fever, I and I some, have, yeah, yeah. Bad. I mean, yeah. seriously. But then, if you are aware of that, if you take precautions around that, and mm. if you have medication or you know that there's some way that you can minimise that reaction, and you don't do it. going to really impact on you. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're aware of those things and you take the precautions, do everything you possibly can, you're still going to struggle a bit, but it's not going to be the same. Yeah. And realistically, that's what we find ourselves in, in this day and age with where we are as a shift of humanity, where we see the whole shift starting to come through as far as working on your reasoning, your intelligence, hear all the birds, they're going crazy. Right this moment, yeah. And it's, this is what it is. <laughs> and so, what a great backdrop. But I was talking about the, 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 the thing of um, the times in which we live, we can be really going to a black hole of fear or we can go into a black hole of the medical people say we should do this or the politicians say we should do this and then there's all this conspiracy stuff that can come to the surface. Mm. Some of it may be real. Some of it could be half true. So therein lies the whole clue about what do you do to do as much research as you possibly can so that you can get a balanced overview of what is going down here. Uh, and that's hard work. It's hard work because there's a lot of stuff out there. Um, when I was, I was impacted with this, this condition of OI, uh, they thought at the beginning that it was um, lack of calcium in the strengthening of the bones. It's nothing to do with calcium. Mm. It's actually collagen. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Which is which is the matrix inside the bone. Mm. You have collagen in your skin, you hear your nails and so on. And it's really important to have it a a measure of quality collagen mm. to hold the strengthening of your bones. And so as time went on they realised that it wasn't calcium and was collagen. So um I now know as much as there is to know about OI and collagen. And I have an endocrinologist and we get on really good because we can talk the same language. Yeah, right? fantastic. Uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah, wow. 
and they they actually created this um, synthetic collagen, which is kind of like, mm, I looked into it, and there's different degrees of what's available. And so me and my endo, we had a little bit of yarn up, and the suggestion was made I could try a, a course of this. So I thought, hmm, leave it with me. So I did a bit of research, and I figured, yeah, well, hmm, let's give it a go. So um, I had an infusion, and you could feel it going through the system, and, and you see, I feel my bones like most people feel their skin. Yeah, wow. Okay. Which is kind of like... That's freaky. Weird. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, what I was leading up to is that um, an informed choice, I think, is the clue yeah. to how we individually and collectively and as a human tribe mm. must consider that this is important for us to be able to do. Mm-hmm. If a certain person makes a certain choice about certain things and we kind of go, not real sure about that, leave it as their choice. Mm-hmm. If they ask the question, we can then share a conversation and share dialogue and, and we can source many things these days on the internet and so on. And that's a starting point. Just a starting point. Um, and so where we're headed in as far as where humanity is that a lot of folk are looking back on cultural aspects mm. and thinking, well, these guys have been around for about 60,000 years. Maybe they know a thing or two. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And so that deep awareness of when the Europeans came here and saw these people as uneducated savages and so on and so forth, that's gone completely the opposite way, where we've got things like cultural burning that looks after the land, that nurtures the land, Mm. that revegetates the land. Mm. Fire, Fire is not... Used in the right way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What you brought up earlier with, you know, and you look at um, our ecosystem here in Australia and uh, when a a fire does go through, what it does to the land. And it's amazing how quickly the new growth and what you shared earlier, you want to share that? Because that was fascinating what you said earlier about the seeds. Yes, so we're on this beautiful Panky George. We're on this property and um, Brett and Megan have, they started out, it was an old macadamia farm and then they built these little cabins for like people come and spend a weekend or however long. Can I interject just, um, this is where I hold my retreats. This is where we hold TGM and there's a beautiful medicine wheel up there, a circle. There's beautiful fire, you might see the smoke that's going there, we sit sit around the fire there and it's just such a gorgeous setting so yeah we're on we're on Brett and Megan's property here in the Harbour Glasshouse Mountains uh, it's called Crookneck Retreat and um, I just love it and we had a men's retreat here recently 
which uh, we're honoured um, that Uncle Al spent time with us here as well and um, did presentation and shared wisdom and he did an opening ceremony as well. Um, so yeah, the, the land here is for us, is, yeah, it speaks to our heart, doesn't it? Yeah, and the land embraces that. So long as you do it with the right intent and with respect and that you do what you can to be able to harmonise with that. It's not about exploitation. It's not about um, trying to take as much as you possibly can from the land to create wealth or to create whatever it is. Um, when you talk about, you know, the originating people, First Nations people, they harvested what they needed and left the animals and left for revegetation. On Monday, just gone, I had a story time with a whole bunch of four-year-olds in a kindy. Yeah. And it's such an honour and such a profound blessing, profound blessing to be able to sit in the energy of children. Mm who are unpolluted and uncontaminated by all the other elements that are out there in, 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 in the world, right? Um, and here they are, pure beings. Um, and so we're sitting in a circle and we're talking about dream time stories. And the one I shared on Monday just gone was about the rainbow serpent. <laughs> and the rainbow serpent brought life into the land, did this, did that, and right at the end... The people were invited to come and share and partake and to be part of everything that was created for their joy, for their benefit, with only one exception. Well, there's a couple actually, but the main one was, and this is what I said to the children, this is all yours, but you only take as much as you need. That's a really good tenant. That is a beautiful natural law, LRE law, to be sharing because uh, that includes do no harm because when you do harm, you're taking. Yes, the only, only thing you should leave behind are your footprints. So it's just a, absolutely, as I say, an absolute joy, pleasure and a real privilege to be able to sit in circle with these children. And I do drawings of them to colour in. So I had these children, four-year-olds, basically in the palm of my hand for about at least 45 minutes. How lovely. Which is kind of like really weird. Yeah, and I bet the teachers like, what well, they, how does he do that? No, they know how I do it. That's why they keep asking me back. Because <laughs> they're learning from you how to do it. <laughs> Pretty much. And, and realistically, George, when you think about how the, the, the knowledge that's in mm. cultural wisdom, mm. it's there. It's like a seed waiting for the rain to come mm. to bring it to life to nurture it, to bring it to life. 
but it needs a particular amount of water, not just a little sprinkle of shower or rain. This needs to be a fairly decent deluge, not to wash the thing down the gully, but just enough to be able to trigger the DNA that's inside the seed. And you also said the we, we always thought it was the fire, the heat, that because there's a lot of um, plants in the Australian ecosystem that only seem to seed or sprout when there's been a fire. They've done some research and they've worked it out that it's actually a smoke. There's some mm, intuitive, um, deeper consequence of smoke. So when we do cultural burning, mm. it's a gentle fire mm. that just trickles through the landscape. Mm. And we time it at certain times of year. And we know that the weather is going to be what it's going to be. Mm. So it's very, very carefully orchestrated and done so that all the elements come together mm. in a harmonious way. Mm. If ever you read Bruce Pascoe's book of Dark Emu, you'll... I'm not you'll, aware of that one. Yeah, oh, powerful book. What's it called? Dark Emu. Dark Emu. And so many folk have already read that and Bruce wrote the first edition and then he had a simplified version for children because he felt that it would be important to have a simplified version so that those people who would struggle to navigate through a very heavy duty read by simplifying but not taking away the essence of what it's trying to put across or what it actually does put across mm. it's not lost and Dark Emu he called it that because it, in the sky, in the star constellations, at certain times of the year, inside the Milky Way, is a void. That's right. And in that void, you can see the outline of an emu. Interesting. Yeah, in the South American Indian cultures, they call it the Dark Rift or the Dark Serpent. Or it's got different... Each cultures around the world have got the... Their own thing. I, I didn't realise that the original cultures call it the dark enemy. Wow. That's something new for me today. Thank you, Uncle Al. And mm. so all these things that um, have been an incredible mm. opportunity for me to be able to connect with, to engage with, to have a, an understanding of, um, is just part of the journey. Mm. <laughs> and... Mm. At Redcliffe Hospital, they have a cultural awareness officer, mm -hmm. and they are desirous of understanding what communication, mm -hmm. how to communicate, how you would address somebody, how you would navigate through. Um, whatever it is that they are wanting in a hospital system and then tailoring that in a culturally appropriate manner. Wow. That's fantastic. Wow. You know, mm. 
And so when someone comes into emergency, mm. uh, it's an emergency. They've damaged themselves or there's something not working right and they present and they have now engaged full-time liaison officers and staff are constantly being upgraded with cultural things. So you see someone, you call them either auntie or uncle, but you ask them first, would it be all right to call you auntie or uncle? Mm. What that begins to do is engage the person, not the illness, not the emergency. That's a really, really good point. And that, that is the very first catalyst of the healing process. Exactly. And therein begins the healing process. Wow, it's so good. Yeah. Powerful stuff. Powerful, yeah. And so we actually have healing within. Mm. We actually do. Mm. We actually have the power to heal. A lot has been done about placebo. Oh, yeah. You know, um, and it's only when things are guided to go into that space mm. in, in using the right language, using the right energy transference that you may or may not be able to do. Mm. is that then can really kickstart a process of yes there's need for medical intervention yes there is sometimes need for medication yes there's sometimes need even for surgery you know but the power of healing that can come from within mm. complements and supplements all of that in a way that most people don't actually realise it's possible. And I'm an example of that. Yes, you are. Can you share with us an example of, of, of like this week? All right? Just so people get a bit of an idea of how much you're engaged in supporting community. It is incredible. So. Share with us your schedule for this week, for example. Well, well, I was going to have a day off today, but George twisted my arm something chronic. He said, oh, he said, um, Uncle Al, I've got this, this window on Wednesday. Would you consider? <laughs> Pretty please. <laughs> so it was kind of like, mm, okay. Big, deep breath. Okay, let's do it. And we are doing it, and I'm incredibly grat grateful that we have created this space and we're able to have these conversations, that we able to record what, what we we're talking about. I really mean Thank that, you. right? Thank you, Uncle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even though it's supposed to be my day off, it's fine. It's yeah. fine. Because what is a day off? A day off is, 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 is comes, it goes. Yeah. Uh, and this is really relaxing on this property and having this conversation is very, very, very good. So the schedule, okay. Monday was time with the kindy kids at the Biwa Kindy. Sitting inside a yarn circle that was manifested by one of the children. Can you explain what a yarn, because this is going to an international audience, so they might not be aware of that term. Well, let's see. Yeah, I understand. So in cultural, there's what we call song lines. Song lines 
in a European setting is also known as ley lines. But here we call them song lines. They call song lines because they need to be sung. They need to be honoured. They need to be energised. And they are in grid form within in the planet. In the planet. But Australia, yeah, we've got them as well, obviously. So these, these song lines go through the land and they follow underground energies and they can be manifested in mountains, so they can be manifested in different ways. And so where they converge oftentimes, that's where a ceremony place is put. I actually have dowsing rods that can actually move. But I feel them. I don't need the band. Yeah. But anyway, so I went to the glass house, no, sorry, to the Biwa Kindi, and we had this conversation with the children about songlines, four-year-olds. Good stuff. And so I thought, how are we going to illustrate how energy can move through things mm. and I sat with it and I got what I call the download thing we'll make a bush telephone two tin cans and a bit of string <laughs> so I made one took it to the kindy and the children were fascinated that you could have a tin can with a bit of string and you could talk to someone across the other side of the room Hear them as clear as, so long as the string is nice and tight. Yeah. They were amazed. They were fascinated. They thought, wow. Mm. So then I was able to talk about how song lines work in the land. And so we talked about circles. And we talked about how the sun is a circle and the moon is a circle. And if you cut up a tree, inside the tree is a circle. Circles are everywhere. But the very special circle is the yarning circle. And that's where these energies converge and come together and get ramped up. We've got kookaburras going crook in the background. And so I talked to the children about how important it is that we honour that which is in the land. And so one of the, the young people, Charlotte was her name, she went home that night and said to her parents, oh, Uncle, I came into the kindy today. And he talked about yarning circles and he talked about songs. Four-year-old child was able to take all that in process it, and then share it with her parents. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Her parents happened to be landscapers. <laughs> and Charlotte knew that. So they then in, got in touch with the, the kindy and offered to build them a yarning circle. How awesome is that? A yarning circle. In the kindy grounds. In the kindy grounds that the children could share the energy and connect all the wood lines together. How good's that? Doesn't get any better. <laughs>
And so it was really beautiful, really beautiful that wow. this is a little something. And there again, you see, George, do we limit ourselves? Do we put boundaries on ourselves? Do we see that, oh, that's not possible? Do we see restrictions? Do we fit ourselves into a box? Do we allow other people to fit us into a box? Or do we see that as we are in amazing space, mm. that nothing, nothing is not possible? Mm. And so here's a beautiful example of what the, the children inside this kindy were able to do. But then it gets better because then they asked me to do a dedication. So I got invited back to do a dedication to their yarning circle. And this has got sandstone blocks, it's got pavers, new turf, and they did that all for the children at no cost. Wow, how beautiful is that? So this and now, and is a gift. children are putting their energy... Oh, ramping it up every time they come. Every time. And they sit in circles. Oh, yeah. And they, and they talk and share. And Absolutely. That's just, just so good. Oh, wow, loving that. And I gave him a yarning stick. Oh, wow. That was given to me by Grandpa Maynard, an Alaskan holy man. Wow. Yeah. So it's really lovely to have these kind of opportunities. And when we had the dedication, I actually had some sand from the desert from around Uluru. And a lot of people would say, ooh, ooh, you know. And absolutely correct to say that because it's a sacred place and you just don't take things. Mm. As the situation was, I was able to approach a senior lawman, Reggie Ulrich, and I told him the story about me on the coast here doing what I'm doing and talked about if we were able to maybe, with your permission, take a little of this sand, we could use it to energise the land and to honour Uluru. So he gave me permission. That's fantastic. And I'm really love to, it's a beautiful segue for me to ask you this question. In the eyes and the wisdom and the knowledge of the Aborigine people, what is Uluru? Uluru is like navel. It has connected to the deep energies within the land, the umbilical cord of life-giving energy. Wow. That's why they had to stop the climb. Yeah. So, you know, folk, you folks might, some of you might be aware, some of you may not be, but um, Uluru is also known as Ayers Rock. Uh, it's pretty much right in the middle of our continent, right in the heart of Australia. And it is the biggest rock in Australia. It's one of the biggest rocks in the world. 200 metres high, and they say eight kilometres deep. Eight kilometres deep into the crust. Um, and it's just one rock. It's a single mineral composition, the whole thing. 
Whereas you look at mountains and things like that, they're all multiple mixtures, right? And uh, but this is a rock, one rock, and um, it's definitely the biggest in Australia and one of the biggest in the world, if not the biggest in the world. I don't know. I haven't heard of any other. You can see it from space. El Capitan, maybe in America. Is yeah, you can see it from it. space. Yeah, it's huge. So um, the other interesting thing about it, which you may or may not be aware of is uh, geologists have been looking at that rock and then looking at the land around it and the, the the rock is different to the crust around and so they're scratching their heads going how did it get there so um do, do you have any info because i've got theories but uh, i just want to know if you have any information in do we have to, to know no just See, no, that that's the whole thing yeah do we have to know mm. or can we begin to just accept mm. and if you ever have the opportunity to go there mm. to this place it's about eight and a half kilometers around mm. and there's certain areas of that place that is very high male energy mm. there are other places that are very high feminine energy. There are other places that are neutral energy. And there's a place called the Mutijuli Waterhole, that when it rains, the water cascades down and energises through seven rock pools. Oh, wow. As it cascades down, and each, each rock pool gets larger and larger and larger and larger. So the energy gets ramped up, and then it enters into the Mutijuli Waterhole, then it trickles through and then it goes deep into the land. Wow. It's almost like the water holes represent the seven sisters. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And so therein lies. If you go out there, if you, my suggestion is to anyone who's listening to this, that if it is you have the opportunity to go to Uluru, yeah. absolutely. The first thing that is important to consider is going to the area known as the Mutijuli Waterhole. Ask permission to be there. Mm. Introduce yourself and express what you may feel at that particular time. And it could be that the wind will come through and you'll feel the energy of the ancient ones saying, welcome. Mm. Then you enjoy the rest of it. Mm. But how important it is that we ask permission. And I'm just reflecting on, I had a dear friend who had a beautiful herb garden and she wanted to give me some sage as I was leaving. Went out to the herb garden, started trying to pull these leaves and say, oh, time out, time out, time what I said you've got to ask permission of the plant mm. some leaves you'll gently tug and they will not, they're fine they're okay they don't want to leave others yeah come away very easily yeah it's true yeah <laughs> so therein lies what I was saying before about having the deep respect and connection to and this 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 
energy transference almost mm. of all that is around us. And when we harmonise with that, all I can say is that you will find things happening that you probably would not consider possible. Mm. But they are possible. Because it happened. Because it happened. <laughs> and so therein lies the whole thing with the journey that we are on right now as humanity, it's, it's, they call it the reset, they call it whatever you want to feel, you want to call it. If you want to put a label on it, you put a label on it. I don't care. I don't care. What I see it as is coming back to nature, coming back to the original concept of how we as a as a planet, and people are part of that planet, but they're not by planet. There's animals, there's trees, there's plants, there's water, there's everything that makes up what sustains life. How, um, how do you feel? I'm, I'm going to share with you. Go for it. Um, an understanding that I have. Uh, let's let's call it a theory. Yeah and uh, supposition um, the knowledge that I've come across in my journey in life is that the Australian Aborigines are the root race of humanity um, and when I was in the Flinders and, and sat with the elders there I, I shared that with them and um, they were you know, really quite amazed that I had that that knowledge and mm -hmm. and I was sharing just the colour of his skin gives that away. <laughs> but there's there's other other races, yeah. you know. I'm not that far off yet at the moment. But there's there's other races that uh, um, uh, have that going on as well. Mm. Yet um, the one thing I found really interesting is how the Australian Aborigines have 48 chromosomes and everyone else has got 46. There's two chromosomes that are different and that every other humanoid species on the planet has a strain origine DNA in them. That, when I found that out, that just blew me away. And that the all the other races actually, called a theory, right, come from the stars and blended their genetics to create the other tribes of Earth. Um, from the Australian Aborigine genetics. How do you see that or feel about that or is there anything you can comment on in regards to that? I always appreciate that when we get together, George, we have these deeper conversations. And I think it's important to be able to have these deeper conversations rather than all the trivia chit-chat, you know, uh, nice, gentle, non-confronting kind of stuff that people have over a latte or something. <laughs> well, you know, there's a time and a place for that. <laughs> you and I are just like, let's just get to the heart of it. <laughs> yeah. And so questions like that mm. around the deeper 
concepts of genetics of awareness and that was something that so many people for for a long time had no concept of Mm. scientifically Mm. but they did know there was something else happening Mm. they didn't have to have the science they knew Mm. because it was what you felt Mm. and it was the wisdom that comes with that in that how do you know that a certain plant with a certain fruit, unless it's processed a particular way, is actually going to kill you? Yes, that's true. But if yeah. you take the same plant, the same, and you process it in a particular way, as nutritious as, how did that happen? How did that happen? Sometimes you can say trial and error. Sometimes you just say observing nature. That's true. However, in this country, up in the top end, up in the Kimberley area, there's a spirit being known as a Wanjana. And the Wanjana are painted with big round heads with electrum coming out of their heads and big eyes, but no mouth. And it's been a curiosity for a long time with anthropologists and other people with regard to Who are these Wanjana? We understand that they are star beings. As soon as you said that, a bee came down like that and then took off. It's on the camera. (laughs) So good. And these star beings came, we feel, and gifted the knowledge. Mm. The knowledge of how to make a piece of wood into a aeroplane wing Mm. so that you could throw it and it would come back to you. And it would come back, yeah. You didn't have to walk to find it. (laughs) You wouldn't have to go, my boomerang won't come back. Well, first you got to throw it. <laughs> and that's really high-tech stuff. That's really... The I aerodynamics mean, of The it. aerodynamics the of all of that, George, is wow. the whole configuration wow. of... I mean, seriously? Yeah. Seriously? Yeah. Yeah. And they have a thing called the Woomera, mm. which is a leverage tool that you can put a spear in and you can throw it and it magnifies the force of that throwing 50 times. It can penetrate and travel very fast, Mm. very quickly, very accurately. Mm. Like a catapult. It's better than any catapult. Mm. And then you've got the awareness of how animals in this country move and the thing like the kangaroo. Oh, 
And the counterbalance of the tail. And the counterbalance of the tail, but also the way that they lean forward and just let the sinews and the tendons create momentum so that they've seen that and that's how they make the prosthetics for Paralympians to run. Is that right? It came from the kangaroos? came from the kangaroos. How about that? I don't know. It's amazing. Yeah. And so this is the clue. And when you look at all, uh, many of the inventions and many of the things that we take for granted, mm. it's through observation of nature. Mm. I believe that the fireflies that live in craves was a catalyst for LED lining mm. using a chemical reaction, not mm. electricity action. Mm. There's so much yet to be learned, yet we as originees have insight to that. Yeah. And so that's the knowledge. <clears throat> and the time is right for the knowledge to be shared because the Wanjana were never painted with a mouth because of the understanding I have is that if they had a mouth, the knowledge and the wisdom would be so profound that we would actually perish. Right. So only those with the ability to hear would then have access to the knowledge. Those who know how to listen. And it is gifted to those who take the time out mm. to be able to be receptive. They've got the radar turned on. But then that's a huge responsibility because what do you do with that? Do you walk around big noting yourself? Do you put this label on? Do you, you know, put all these letters after your name? No. No. It's the complete opposite. You use that in the way that you've been guided to use so that it becomes a medium to guide people through where we find ourselves. And yesterday I was with the Redcliffe Hospital and we were painting things on rocks. Beautiful affirmations, colourful, bright affirmations. Mm -hmm. And one was to acknowledge the past, to embrace the present but to inspire the future. And so we made the rocks available, got the paint, got the brushes, got this, got that, and then I rocked up, and then this person who has was originally, and she had been impacted with a stroke, and she heard about, oh, we're going to have this art out in the painting rocks. And she thought, oh, I've got to be part of this. Oh, that's so nice. <laughs> i got to be part of this. Yeah. So she found out where it was. She got in a power chair and she rocks up. And I'm seeing this woman and I'm thinking, whoa. So then we, we had a connection and we had a look at a particular rock that she felt really comfortable with doing some art on. One arm didn't work. The strike really impacted. Yeah. 
And they said she would never speak again, but they were wrong about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we went over and we looked at a particular rock and she started to engage with that rock. And she said, it's not just a rock. Mm. It's not just a rock. Oh my goodness. Did you We're, share any more about it? Oh, I'm, I'm working oh, on it. you working on it? I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> so that was kind of really nice. And then so we, we put a base coat on it, which was a, a, a brownish sort of ochre sort of colour. And then we just let the paint dry a little and we were looking at that rock and we're kind of to two of us and we're kind of thinking, hmm... So then we were able to see, well, you know, around the edge, maybe if we did a little design around, what do you think? Yeah, sounds great. Mm. So I was like, hang on a minute. So I went over to the garden and I found a bit of stick. That was perfect round, but it had a sharp end on that. So I, so I, I made the end blunt on a piece of cement so that was nice and flat yeah. and brought it over. And that's what we did to use our paintbrush. Yeah, right. So that was great we're doing that. And we're having this beautiful dialogue discussion. And she was sharing how she's going to rehab and how she was really being challenged. But then she looked at me and said, well, you've been challenged too, but you got on with it. And so I said, well, you can too. You can too. Maybe not the same way I do, but mm. certainly, you know, certainly. So she really seemed to embrace that. And she started talking about some really positive things and talking about how maybe I should take up this art again. And I said, again? You mean you stopped? Just because you had a stroke? Seriously? That's the weakest excuse I've ever heard. <laughs> And how often is it, George, that we are confronted with challenges and we take that as a as some sort of rationale to be able to, to, to reason on and say, oh, well. Mm. It's and almost you, an excuse, isn't it? It's an excuse and you give up. Mm. And you know it's happening a lot today. I'm glad you brought this up because uh, a lot of folks who are watching this uh, we'll also have uh, those moments of despair at the moment and depression and feeling disempowered uh, with what's going on in the world at the moment, you know, and, um, and feeling powerless and helpless and disillusioned and all these wonderful <laughs> things. <laughs> well, how do you speak to that? These things are actually important. actually important. If you are sitting in your little comfort zone, you're not being challenged. You're not being motivated. You're not asked to do whatever it is you have within your capacity. You have gifts. We all have gifts. Those gifts are important 
to be tapped into, to be used, to be shared, to be able to manifest the direction in which we are being asked to go. So every time someone feels despair or disillusionment or disempowerment or um, depression, etc., what they're really staring in the face of is opportunities. Oh, massive opportunities. The poor me thing doesn't cut. Different abilities. That's the one. And you never, sometimes you just don't realise the potential that is within you. And the, oftentimes what is needed to bring out that potentiality is a challenge or a, a bit of fire or a bit of hard work or a bit of whatever it is that is important for you. Right there. That can be the catalyst to generate, to germinate, to bring out in you your potentiality, which you may not even realise you have. But as soon as it starts happening, all I can say is put the seatbelt on and hang on for the ride. Yeah. Because it's pretty amazing. And who'd have thunk it, you know, as they say these days, who'd have thunk it that here's me, you know, with all these years of struggling through with hospitals, with fractures, with surgery and everything else, that the hospital system are now asking me to be a presenter of how that journey has shaped what I have so that they can use that in a proactive way. Mm. But I tweak it to use the cultural thing. And here's the clue. And I um, this is really re- overview of the whole of where we're at. And the big word is trust. Trust. There's that word again. It's the big word of trust. But rather than point fingers at everyone else, point it back at yourself and say, do you actually trust yourself? Do you see that you can be the mirror? That we've had the polishing up, you know, bits broken, bits on the edge, eh? We super glued them back in together. And it's, <laughs> sometimes the light goes in different directions, but that's okay, too. Yeah. And realistically, we become the mirror and we have this incredible potential that is locked inside that seed, waiting for that germination process. And the other, another couple of aspects, part of that is about not having division. Mm-hmm. And, and the word is um, non-duality. If you have a duality, that means there's a division or there's a separation, or there's a conflict. Mm. 
Whereas if you have non-duality, those two things which actually can seem to be opposite or in conflict, when they come together, they harmonise in a beautiful, powerful, energetic manner that can create amazing things. So this is a segue into my next question. How do you explain the dreaming to folks who are not familiar with the, the terminology? Well, it's, it, it's an aspect, George, that is a very deep um, awareness. And even the, the, the thing, a dreaming, what is your dreams? Are dreams connections to the subconscious? Are dreams some elusive aspect of something which is deep within you in your consciousness mm. that comes through in dreams do people have a dream about an invention do people have a mm. dream about um, creating a beautiful artwork do people have a dream about connecting to a piece of land or another person it's an area that is so deep inside our consciousness that oftentimes it can only come out in a dream. But then what you do with it is completely up to you too. Um, people who are really into creativity mm. see that as an amazing thing. You know, the Beatles, hard musicians, they went into the drugs scene but then they soon left that and got into the mystic. Mm -hmm. they, they, yeah. And that mysticism yeah. changed the direction in which they were going with their music and as, as the direction they went collectively, they then all began to go their own separate ways. Mm -hmm. Why was that so? It was because that person, that person, that person, that person had their own gifts, skills and abilities that mm. they needed to have and explore mm. without the input of the others. Mm. So there's the collective that is um, talked about and celebrated, but there's also now the individualization, the uniqueness that needs to be acknowledged and celebrated as well. And there's a fine line in that whole concept of elevating that to the degree that it becomes a status. We have to be very careful around that. Yeah. That's the one thing I say to my community, whoops, my community all the time is, um, you know, please don't put me on a pedestal because I'm going to disappoint you. And it's tricky because you could fall off and hurt yourself. Yeah. <laughs> well, I could anyway. <laughs> I think I already have. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, you're right. And so concepts mm. like that are really important to keep it in, things in perspective. Mm. And there, in, in, in a few years ago, I was invited to go to Italy um, and the Italians are into pomp and ceremony. Oh, big time, aren't they? Oh. 
They got titles. They got uniforms. They got bling off the scale. And I asked to go there, and they asked, well, what, what do we call you? That was the question. What what title do we give you? What what? I said, Uncle Al's good enough. Couldn't quite deal with it, but that's the best they could do. <laughs> and that's really important because when we go to the First Nations people of America, it's it's grandma or grandpa. Mm-hmm. Mm. There's no status. There's no titles. There's no elevation. But there's a recognition of the wisdom of the journey that those people may have had. And they will gladly give that, provided we enable ourselves to be in alignment with that. It's like that, the story of the wolves, you know, the story of the wolves. Which one do you the two, feed? The two wolves, yeah, yeah. Which one do you feed? Mm. Mm. Uh, in uh, the Origini culture, there's also um, this thing that um, is called in the Western world prophecy, right? And there's um, prophecies in some Origini mobs along the coastlines here. And they talk about, you know, a time when the waters are going to rise again. Um, do you have anything like that going on with your mob or your culture, your part of the culture? No. Not really. I mean... Are there uh, any others though, that you could speak of? Or? Well, to be truthful, when we start to connect to some outside influence, mm. then it becomes a construct. And then we put a date on it. Then we put a this on it. Then we put a that on it. So it becomes complicated beyond complication. And then all of a sudden there's this gloom and doom or there's this transition or there's whatever there is, right? It may happen. Mm. Does it matter when? What are you doing? What are we doing? What am I doing now with what we got mm. to make sure that if something happens, we can look back at our, over our shoulder and say, oh, I gave it my best shot. And if it is that we're guided to a place or a setting or with certain folk, that when, if, if and when things do happen, we are safe, we are protected, we are looked after. You know, and I don't feel, um, you know, obsessive over these things. I don't I don't even have a strong curiosity. I rarely, rarely talk about these things. Sure. Um, and, and sure, I, I share with my community and the wider audience that um, there's, uh, you know, uh, a process that humanity is in because I have access to... Uh, what could be a very real possibility of the outcomes of where we're headed as a, as a race in our evolution, yeah? And um, the things that I've shared in the last, uh, say, 20 years are playing out. And uh, But I don't obsess over it, and there was a time when I was, and I learnt my lessons through that because I fell off the pedestal and hurt myself. <laughs> 
and and uh, you'd think it'd be like a physical thing, but no, it was the ego that got bruised real bad. <laughs> and uh, I had a really good lesson with all of that. So, uh, however, there's, uh, you know, we're at an interesting point in our journey now as a humanity <laughs> and, you know, a real crossroads, you could say, yeah. It's actually a cycle of, just like we have the four seasons. Yeah. Summer, autumn, winter and spring. Nature has the ability and the skill to be able to deal with that. When you see autumn in in uh, other places, they call it the fall. What happens to the trees? The leaves fall. The trees shut down. The trees shut down. Deep inside the root system, deep inside the core of those trees is enough life that keeps them living, even when it gets to minus whatever it gets to. Mm. And they discard the leaves because the leaves would, would require energy. That is not... Yeah. And again, you see, it's about observation, deep, deep, deep observation of nature and how nature functions and how nature is, is resilient and how nature has the mechanisms. We seem to, most folks seem to think that can control nature. Wrong. No. Wrong. Wrong. Yeah. You are heading down a pathway that is, mate, seriously not good. <laughs> And it's when you when you harmonise with nature, when you work with nature, when you balance your whole thing with nature, mm. and you see that we can actually do that with ourselves. I mean, when it gets really cold, you know, you spend time indoors, you have nice hot soups and stews and things, and and it's opportunity to be creative. It's an opportunity to. Um, mm. You know, reflect and so on and so forth. And then as the days warm up again, we venture out of doors and so on and so on and so on. I saw a documentary the other night about snow and how snow actually becomes a blanket. Right. And they measured what was up the top. Mm. Then they dug down and they measured the soil and the soil was actually warmer. Mm. Wow. We don't get snow in Queensland, but no, no. <laughs> it's it's really interesting that the more you delve into this um, concept of integrating and understanding and working with nature, rather than try to be dominant, rather than try to, to subdue, rather than try to be exploitation of. Mm. I think that's where we're headed. I think that's where we're headed. The shift back to um, a harmony with nature. And when we have all these lockdowns, well, COVID's COVID. What's happening to the land? The land's getting a rest. The land's getting a rest. It was amazing to see how many animals came back in. And 
the the canals of Venice cleaned up. All kinds of things mm. happened, you know, mm. and you kind of go, mm. So maybe it's, it's a beautiful, amazingly powerful time of reflection. And the reflection is inward to each and every person of what you can do, what your potentiality could be, what you can have as a gift, what you can share, what you can be part of in this amazing time that we live in. Yeah, what we can contribute well, to our human family and our current state of affairs. And I say to people, you know, what, what is your contribution? What are you contributing? Because you get folks who are you know, caught up in the conspiratorial arena, which I, I get we need to do our due diligence and we need to look at various different sources of information. And that's really, really important that we do that. However, there's a space and it's this giant drama vortex. <laughs> and it's amazing how many people are getting stuck in that space and they're missing out on... There's a whole lot more out this. there. Missing out on this. Look at that big fella sticking out there. All right. Trying to say, hey, you know, coming up out of the earth and being reborn and look at it, come up, you know, like reach out, grow and uh, see what nature is supporting us to be able to do, to have this beautiful growth. And, um, excuse me, busy here. And, uh, <laughs> do you mind? Really? <laughs> he landed on the end of my nose. <laughs> He's taking the piss now. And, uh, uh, so we, um, we, we do have this beautiful opportunity for, for growth and what, what are we going to contribute instead of this drama vortex. Uh, and I feel that's really, really important. And you're making a major contribution to people's lives. Um, I want to really, uh, feels like the energy's winding up. Am I right in saying that? Yeah. And I want to say thank you for your contribution today uh, in this. Um, I really, really appreciate the time that you have taken. And uh, yeah, any, any further closing comments that you have that you can share with folks who are watching and listening? We covered a lot of ground mm. and it's important to try to focus on not ourselves, although that's important because our journey has been our journey. And the last thing I think would be lovely to share is that we are reclaiming our identity as a species, as a tribe, as, as the next wave of caring for and nurturing and looking after this planet, which is our home. We don't have to go to Mars. We don't have to go into the depths of the ocean. We can just deal with what we have on the top layer, and that is us. So it was interesting that a few years ago, I was in, I had a friend visit, and we learned about an opportunity um, in Tasmania of a gathering coming together, Nari Nari Good Spirit Festival.
And anyone that chooses to do a bit of research about what happened to the uh, Palawa people, which is a name given to the original people of Tasmania, you will quickly see that it was pretty gruesome. It was really not good. And so what happened was they were virtually exterminated from the planet, but there was a few that survived and they married into sealers and fishing people and some, you know, there's a long narrative about the Waitaha of New Zealand and how in Tasmania there's red-haired, green-eyed people who could actually be descendants of some ancient energies. Mm. Anyway. We're at this um, gathering called Nari Nari on Bruni Island. It's also known as Lunawana Alana, which is a name given to that land. And we had this amazingly beautiful coming together. And I was put in this, or asked to sit in this area where they'd set aside for the knowledge keepers and the elders and those that... And I thought, hmm, okay, so I sat there. And the next to me was this elder, this older person, Uncle Donnie Wulaguja. I'd never heard of the guy before. Anyway, there he is, and I'm feeling this energy. I'm going, whoa, whoa, man. And then what happened was behind us, the first day went, second day, some people set up a screen printing thing behind us. So they have these, like, frames, and on the frame is certain material, and you put this certain um, chemical on it, and then that becomes a negative and the positive and so on and so on. Anyway, they gave one to Uncle Donnie, and he drew a wanjita. Mm. It turns out he and his family have been given permission and the responsibility of repainting the Wanjuna. Wow. In the caves and the rock places. Wow. So he is like serious, this is serious mm. stuff. Mm. Yeah. Right, so he can go into a landscape or a setting and he can get the ochre and he can get the materials and he can actually repaint and bring the Wanjuna, refresh them, bring them back, back. into... Yeah into the present. Yeah. Wow. And he's this guy is sitting right next to me, right? Wow. And I'm going, oh my goodness. So they give him this thing and he does this wanjana and they're going, whoa. And they takes it off and they prepare it. And he's having this conversation with me and he said, you know, he said, I've been watching you and I go, Yeah. He said, You got you got a fair bit of wisdom in there, eh? I said, part of the package, I guess, you know. And he said, you know, we're in very special times that there are some who will be given the gifts and that gift is art or it's dance or it's storytelling or it's awareness of food uh, production or it's awareness of whatever it is and collectively that's when we come together like that, it, creates the tribe wow. 
And he said, you're the wisdom keeper, mm. the storyteller. And he personally said to me, that's the gift you have. They screen printed the one jana, he grabbed the shirt and gave it to me and he said, the one jana spirit will go with you everywhere. Mm. Oh wow. my goodness. So I was not able to function very well after that because it was a huge responsibility yeah. and a huge thing coming from Uncle Donnie Woolagudja. I'm going, oh my goodness, <laughs> seriously? Mm. So that then has really permeated and carried through to the point where I'm okay to sit in your company, George with the recording going to share these things because at the end of the day, we all have our gifts, we all have our potentiality and collectively when we come together, we are, we are the awakening. Thank you. Yes, we are. Mm. Well, thank you. Uncle Al, I wholeheartedly appreciate you spending your time with me here today, especially on your day off too. I understand <laughs> that. Day off, hey. Yeah. <laughs> this type of work that we do in the background. Yeah, and I really hope that you've enjoyed this beautiful, special presentation of Super Woo Radio. And um, I'm going to include, uh, after the uh, dialogue video, some of the traditional story of the land here in the Glasshouse Mountains and especially um, Canorwan. Canorwan. sorry. Thank you. Language is a bit hard to get, especially if you're not... Yeah, yeah, Canorwan. Canorwan or Canorwan? Canorwan. Canorwan, yeah. And so it's not pronounced the way it's spelled, in a way. Never is. Never is. <laughs> <laughs> Canorwan. My apologies, bro. And, um, yeah, it'd be nice to add a little bit of that and, and, and some, some photos and what have you. And uh, I hope you really enjoyed this dialogue. And down the track, maybe we can do it again. Oh, look at him. That's the one. <laughs> so. No, but personally, George, it's been very delightful to be able to spend some little time. Yeah. And, um, yeah, if... if Folks are listening to this or watching this. Yeah, you can be you can be whoever you wish to be. Don't wait for someone else to tell you. There you go. That's it. Done and dusted. Thank Mate. you, Uncle Al. Wow, the crow. The crow had the final words. One of my main totems. <laughs>